85% of daily fantasy sports players lose. Don't be surprised, it's rigged. You're playing against thousands of lineups and experts with more tools and time. Stat Hero is the first ever daily fantasy sports book that gives the player the advantage. Here's how it works Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head to head matchup. You name your stakes and winner takes all. So go to stathero.com slash capspace. You can sign up for free. And right now you get 300% back on your first play. That's stathero.com slash capspace. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. And thank you so much for joining us. So Jed, just put in some speed requests. Okay, first first request is in. Alan, you are on the air. On the air. Hello, can you all hear me? Yes. Great. The um, uh, the Pelicans have a, a tight uh, uh, cap situation this summer and with choices to be made with Lonzo and uh, Josh Hart. And I wanted to know if, if in y'all's opinion, it would be worth it for the Pelicans to uh, give up uh, a first-round pick, hopefully one of the Bucks picks or you know one of the ones that's less valuable, uh, to dump the, uh, 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 the Bledsoe contract to give them some, some more freedom to operate. I'm uh, Nate. I don't know if you have an immediate response. I was going to look up. I'm going to work through their work through their numbers quickly. Yeah, I, I had seen an article uh, John Hollinger had written earlier this week discussing some of that, and that's where it, made, it got me thinking about it. Uh, and it, yeah. his view was they had to they had to dump something, uh, and so we, but the question was, you know, at, at what cost? And um, um, I wanted to get to get Charles you if uh, if it's worth actually trying to get rid of something to open up the room or uh, if they should go some other route. Yeah, so yeah. I, I – yeah, Okay, so when I went through my sheet, basically if the, if the Pelicans let all of their free agents go and then also traded Eric Bledsoe, so I didn't even fill in the roster spots, didn't do anything like that, they're looking at, you know, let's say roughly $35 million in space. So $35 million in space can get you – can get you a lot in terms of um, players, can get you a lot. You know, you could do something, but this is a very weak free agent class. So I think that that is a, a consideration here. But also remember, like, that's getting rid of everybody. That means Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Bledsoe, not, you know, not necessarily filling it out. So my inclination is no. However, one of the nice things about the let's, what's the situation, if, as it were, is that David Griffin can make that decision if the right player becomes available, whether that is through a trade or through free agency. And he doesn't have to make, you know, give up a first to do it blind. Now, Vlade did that once, you know, or, or that they, you know, was it, it wasn't worth what they gave up to off to offload money. But generally speaking, Griffin can only, you know, push that button if he needs to push that button. Well, and I think uh, for Lonzo and Hart, the first question becomes how much it's actually going to cost to retain them. And that's a question you might want the answer to before you give up some assets uh, to move Bledsoe. Uh, and they also could just stretch them as well. Bledsoe has $18 million and then for next year and then $3.9 million guaranteed the year after that. So you could stretch that out over five years. So you basically be have about $4 million a year over the next five years. Do I recommend that for this team? No, I don't because they're not close to championship contention. Why would you hamstring yourself three, four years from now where Zion might actually be ready to lead a team into championship contention to save a little bit money or or get better now i mean so let's see if let's say they'll have below the tax assuming that they get the number 11 draft pick which is what we have in our sheet they would have about 40 million in room uh and 10 players under contract with no ball and no josh hart so that should be enough to bring those guys back shouldn't it and still operate okay i I think it should be and then yeah they if they want to use the full mid-level that's when maybe things get a little bit more dicey but maybe one of Lonzo or Hart leaves or maybe you a sign and trade might be possible for one of those guys you could maybe get something back as well I just it is just amazing to me though Danny that they're already in a position and going into Zion's third year where they're like all worried about the tax I mean that really to me shows the folly of some of the moves that they've made here yeah I think that I think that's a very good point and why 
making reasonable moves early on, even if they, you know, Griffin's hand was pushed a little earlier because of their unusual salary cap books, that it it can be a challenge. And un, incidentally, I'm not comparing the two other than it being the same franchise. You know, like that that push, the push to get better too quickly and the push to potentially, you know, curtail some of that spending. I think that those can be really dangerous things. Thanks, to Alan, for the question. Dante, you are on the air. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yes, and I will say, by the way, guys, it just uh, I think the locker has fixed some of the tech questions. Just go ahead and start talking, and uh, if we can't hear you, we will uh, we will let you know. Just because this is going to be a podcast later, so uh, just for uh, future reference there. But what do you got for us, Dante? Uh, yeah, I have a Timberwolves question. Um, just like a draft question and direction on the team. Let's say the Timberwolves actually get to keep their pick next year, and it's whatever top three. And what would you do with the pick? Like, because I mean, if anybody in that top three, just from me, from me looking at it, dessert should play over the two guys that would be in their position. But if you take out one guy, then you upset the superstar, and the other guy just got drafted. And then if you draft somebody like Mobley, are you going to play him and Carl Town? So I was just wondering, would you, what direction would you guys go on with the team if it was a top three pick? I'll note at the outset that. Nate and I haven't done our, our draft work yet, so it's hard for us to be specific about, like, if we're saying Kate Cunningham, Mobley, Suggs, Jalen Green, and Kaminga, like, those are kind of the guys that I have heard are in the mix there. But yeah, I, I agree with those three, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I would just be going if it was Kate, Suggs, and Mobley. Yeah, so uh, I... I I've seen a little bit of all three of those guys. Um, actually, incidentally, some of that through Team USA stuff. And one important consideration is that generally, and maybe hopefully there'll be exceptions in this group, guys aren't good right away. And so I think that you can kind of bridge the gap. In some ways, actually, the model might be something like what Charlotte ended up doing with LaMelo Ball, which is that the intention was not to start him. However, he played well enough to actually start eventually. And then you you figure out where things go at that point. And I thought that James Brego handled that very well overall made LaMelo earn the spot and Cunningham for what I understand about his game I think that he and Suggs conceptually could work in this ecosystem you're right I think that Mobley is a bigger challenge I, I think when I've watched Mobley I think of him as a a straight center you know like he doesn't he has some interesting skills but just in terms of where he fits in offensively and defensively I think that is probably the best place but I think that I'm pretty zealous. Um, Nate knows this pretty well. Listeners probably do too, that I am best prospect available. So I think that, and also acknowledging that those are the players and the Wolves know this well with Carl Anthony Towns and KG, that those are the players that set you up for the future. So I would not trade the pick unless something crazy was offered. So I think you just take the guy that you think is going to be best, irrespective of the other players and put them in a, in the best situation you can to succeed. And I hope that Gerson Rosas and ownership whatever ownership that ends up being, give, has the latitude to be patient here. Because yes, I understand that Carl Anthony Towns, you know, that he, he'll be a free agent in a few years. You know, he's still got a little while under contract. But at the same time, they aren't good enough to like push for something right now that's going to take some time to build this out, even if the Beasley-Russell-Towns combo works better. So take the best player you can, figure out the minutes as they as they present. Nate, do you disagree? Well, Cunningham to me, obviously, I, I think there's no problem there. He's a three. You can just move Edwards to the two. No problem there. Um, you may run into the not enough balls situation for Russell, Edwards, and Cunningham, but that's something that would probably be the case later on. Um, even with Mobley, you know, he's he has some perimeter skills. I don't know if his jump shot is necessarily ready, but you do have the luxury with Carl Towns. Uh, he's such a good shooter that you can play a guy who's not an amazing shooter with him. And then also maybe Mobley can just be your backup center. They, it's not like they have some great long-term prospect at the four. So they might say, hey, we'll start him at the at the four. We'll play these guys together for the first five minutes of every half. And then it, we'll just uh, stagger them the rest of the way. Kind of like the Jazz used to do with Gobert in Favors, uh, in Favors' first stint with the team, for example. And then Suggs, if, they, if that's the guy who's there and that's the pick, in theory, Russell could play some two for you as well. And I think the, the LaMelo thing is a great choice as well. But you also have to be realistic that by the time Kate Cunningham or Jalen Suggs or Evan Mobley are really good enough to be high level of players, your team is almost certainly going to be totally different. You're talking about two or three years from now, Russell's contract will have expired. Towns will either be moving towards a new contract or maybe be on another team and unhappy or who knows. 
So you just you're talking about what your team's going to look like three years from now. And yeah, if Carl Anthony Towns were in his third season, then maybe that's different. But even where he is right now, he may not be there by the time Evan Mobley is really good. For example, um, should we move on here, Danny? Well, a quick note: I when I was mentioning their core, I forgot Anthony Edwards. It wasn't a deliberate omission. I just was thinking I, for whatever reason because Malik Beasley got hurt at the same basic time. Uh, we can do but right quickly before that. Unfortunately, we got reporting now from Woj and basically everyone else that Harden has suffered a setback with his hamstring and is out indefinitely. He had another MRI. So there isn't much to react to because we don't know We don't know what it is, but I wanted to mention it for the, let's call it for posterity. Yeah, it seems like this, uh, this one has not been managed too well where they brought him back in. He clearly wasn't ready to come back. He injured himself again, and now he's injured himself again. So that's, uh, that is a real bummer out indefinitely. I mean, we're getting to the point where that could begin to affect the playoffs now. They should be fine in the first round of the playoffs if KD also out right now and, and Kyrie are healthy but yeah that's uh they just may be snake bitten this year um yeah so let's uh, you want to bring another speaker here absolutely Kyle you are on the oh, air hey guys got a watfo for you oh yeah yeah what are the fucking odds that Victor Oladipo gets more in free agency than the extension he was offered? Well, I guess it depends which extension. There's the one the Pacers offered him, which I think was pretty close to uh, was around the max he could get for them, which was, you know, along the lines like four years over $20 million per season. And then there's the Rockets one, which after he got traded, they could only offer him another two years and $45 million basically. So if we're talking about guaranteed money, um, you know, is it going to be more than $45 million in guaranteed money? I mean, he's going to have to play again and play well to get more than that, I would say. Would you agree, Danny? Yeah, my instinct is like one in three, you know, so 33% that he gets it. Because remember, Oladipo, he he fits a couple of the boxes of players that get paid more than Nate and I would pay them. You know, he has had this success in his past. He's an intriguing athlete. He plays a position that is somewhat scarce, though we can get into that. So the the big concern though for Oladipo in terms of his value is especially now that he's missing time it is it like he he kind of the constituency for him is probably just a little bit outdated and you know he hasn't played well recently you know really since coming back from this quad issue so I think it's unlikely but as has been the case you know Nate and I've been doing this job for a while now there there are always possibilities to surprise you and I think that his now kind of old track record but still existing track record is enough like for most players in this circumstance I would be saying like 10 percent, but with oladipo i'm gonna go 33 just because it's possible yeah my my prediction for him would be something along the lines of like that jabari parker contract in chicago like a year at a pretty high number and then a team option at that number as well so that he gets more than so to, to be clear uh kyle you were talking about the most recent extensions yes in the rockets right yes um yeah, I'm going to go 25%. I, I would say that he gets more than that, which if you just like kind of played normally and not gotten hurt in Miami, uh, then I, I would say probably more along the lines like 50%. But this is, uh, it, it definitely is starting to feel like he's just going to not come back this year. We'll see whether that changes or not. Uh, but what do you think, Kyle? I, I think it's over that. I would say 60% just because I think the his market value, while you guys are right about it, I don't know. I think one general manager is going to have caps burning a hole in his pocket and is going to overpay well let, let's take a look at that actually so so the teams that have cap space to offer him something like that will rule out a sign and trade charlotte not interested dallas uh dallas might be interested that's that's a possibility though i will note that if dallas was interested they could have it didn't take much to get him they probably could have done so and retained yeah. bird rights yeah no that that's a good point as happened in the mock season miami obviously could potentially bring him back um the knicks supposedly maybe had some interest in it and there's a report maybe they're not interested okc is gonna have no interest for sure spurs i don't really see it there toronto is a slight possibly but they got gary trent so i don't know about them either uh the knicks i mean if they want to play barrett at the three they, they've they've kind of done the let's get as many points per game guys together as we can approach i, I don't know how well uh victor Oladipo is going to do under tom thibodeau <laughs> necessarily so yeah i mean of those teams I don't know who's going to be champion at the bit to offer him $45 million guaranteed. So that, that that's why I said it as low as we did. 
I've been working with Masterclass now for probably four years, ever since Steph Curry's class on shooting and ball handling came out. And I still find more classes that I'm enjoying. My wife and I have actually been sitting down together and watching Gordon Ramsay's class and learning a ton about cooking technique that basically we're applying right away. More her than me, if we're being honest, because it is the NBA playoffs after all. I don't have a ton of time for cooking right now. But I'm just continually wowed by the quality of Masterclass just even when they're filming him doing the class they've got like four different cameras there they'll show you an overhead view above him of what he's doing in the pan or the bowl it's really just remarkable and really whatever your interest is and however deep you want to go into it whether you want to just watch the videos whether you want to work through the downloadable materials as well and you can watch it on ios android we're casting it to our chromecast super easy the way to get started with them and get unlimited access to every master class and 15 percent off an annual membership is to go to masterclass.com slash capspace easy to remember because we talk about it all the time here on the program that's masterclass.com slash capspace for 15 percent off masterclass don't forget that slash capspace to let them know that you came from us so it's been all over the news lately with the economy reopening that a lot of companies are looking to hire. And the last thing that you need when you don't have enough staff is to take more time than you need hiring the people that you need to run your business. That's why Indeed is the hiring partner who helps make your life easier. It's as easy as one, two, three. You post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. You get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description and you get it faster. You only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications. You can schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard, and you can immediately get quality candidates whose resumes fit your job description. They also have skills tests that you can choose from more than 130 of. On average, these tools reduce hiring time by 27%, and according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires, not candidates. Anyone can be a candidate. Sometimes there are too many candidates. You want hires. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash capspace. Easy remember slash capspace because we talk about it all the time here on the program. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com slash capspace. That's indeed.com slash capspace. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Don't get that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. No, it's definitely an interesting question. Uh, thanks for asking it, Kyle. And we we will move on to uh, Brandon. Brandon, you are on the air. You are- hey, hey, guys, got a question. Um, saying that we got about a 75% sample of, about, of the season so far, you guys got any candidates for most improved player right now? And if so, with, oh, the, offensive, yeah. uh, with the offensive uh, impact we've had so far in the league, with it being so increased, what does it change the criteria that you guys use, or do you guys just always have something that you – so I, I think that it will change the criteria just because the the context is a little bit different. So let's say the primary thing that the player in question did was improve their efficiency. I think that I will I will tone that. But remember, you're you're kind of grading everybody. It's what they were this year versus what they were last year. My first thought, I mean, early in the year it looked like Jeremy Grant. Um, even though Jeremy Grant, remember that his it was more an opportunity based thing. My, I, I, we haven't done any, I, at least I haven't done any digging on this yet. My first thought was Julius Randle. I think that, you know, the role that he has taken on with the Knicks, while he's had parts of that, like in New Orleans and a little bit with the Lakers at moments in time, he has a much larger role within the offense. And that is a significant development, not only for himself, but also for the Knicks. And also, Nate and I have a general policy, which I broke last year, that second-year players are ineligible. So that also narrows the field because usually that is the most significant improvement. Anyone else come to mind for you, Nate? Uh, well, yeah, Randall and Grant are the two that first co- come to mind for me. Um, I might have a, a couple other candidates uh, the more I think about it. But to to answer uh, Brandon's question just ab- about criteria, I think I think of most improved as not only a statistical improvement, but a skill improvement as well. There's no real criteria. It's just, it's basically, I think it says like up and coming young player who's improved the most is essentially the criteria for the league. So I want to see if it's, okay, you just hit a few more threes and that's it. Like skill development across the board where you're just doing more things. You've added moves that you didn't have before. You're playing in a different way. 
potentially, um, you know, in addition, because I, I want to believe kind of that it's not a fluke, you know, if it's just like, okay, you improved to 40% on threes, but you're taking three a game. All right. That's, that could be a fluke, right? You could see some regression there. So I want to believe more. I rely a little bit more maybe on the eye test than some. Um, Shea Gilgis Alexander would probably have to be in that discussion as well for me. Yeah, that's a good um, call. Let's see. Who else am, am I missing among young players who have really improved? The, the list is nowhere near as strong, I don't think, as it was last year. And last year you had Brandon Ingram, you had Bam Adebayo, a lot of guys, Jason Tatum, guys surging into being all-stars for the first time. You just don't really have that as much as this was Zion, if if you're you're gonna put a uh not count the uh the cry or, or the criterion that it can't be a second year guy which i stick to even harder than danny zion would definitely be in there if you just look at how the way he's changed how he's playing and doing all the the point zion stuff yeah nobody else i, I mean other than those three shay randall and grant i don't think anyone really comes to mind for me uh what about for you brandon do you have any other candidates uh, that you might consider those are the exact three guys i had in mind so i literally have nothing else to add to that thanks yeah um yeah so this you- is this is one of the easier most imp- i mean we haven't really thought about it until uh you asked that question we don't do it till the end because you can have like all these fluky shooting and stuff early on that we don't do that in our monthly awards but yeah i think that this is one of the easier most improved that we've had just off the top of my head here uh xavier asked about zach levine i think he would be considered as well i need to, I need to yes think. no that's a good one yeah thank you that's a that's a great point uh we will go to justin justin you are on the air Hey guys, a little bit of a broad question, but I was listening to Danny's most recent Real GM podcast with Matt Moore, and throughout the podcast, Moore brought up a lot of interesting second spectrum pick and roll scheme data that many folks don't necessarily have access to. For example, Charlotte's excellent um, numbers playing a switching defense. Um, do you guys look at that scheme specific data? And off the top of your head, what are the more what are the most interesting pick and roll scheme storylines heading into the postseason? Thank you guys. Well, I, c- I can only answer for myself, but I don't have access to that data. So I, I wish I did. It would be fun to have another sandbox to play with. I don't think that I am as adept at using it as, a, as others are. But it is, it is, you know, it's wonderful now that there are, at least for, for you know, not available to everybody, that there are these avenues and hopefully that the, pe- the people who have them use them intelligently. Yeah, I've, I think you, there's some stuff on Synergy you can look at, like there'll be categories more for offense i don't think there's anything defensively on pick and roll versus pick and roll switch you'll have that sometimes a lot of isolations result from switches as well or isolation defense will result from switches as well so you can kind of eyeball it a little bit there and just generally as you watch seeing whether teams are switching a lot usually stuff will get publicized about just what percentage of the time teams switch and then you can also just extrapolate that from a, their overall defense. Uh, as far as the storylines, I think the Milwaukee Bucks are probably the most interesting to me uh, as far as how they're going to handle the pick and roll. We saw that quite a bit uh, last night against the Suns. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm definitely curious to see um, Budenholzer's um, scheme against especially against Brooklyn. Um, and even if they run into someone like an Atlanta, and we all know how Trey Young can be um, uh, an, on yeah. offense, they can roll. Um, and obviously the Clippers are probably my favorite um, team to look at as far as how they defend the pick and roll because, you know, how versatile they are. Um, but uh, thank you guys. I really appreciate you answering my question. Oh, thanks, Justin. One other one that I'll mention, it's funny, uh, thinking about um, – last night you know not not to be a prisoner of the moment but also when they're fully healthy which they were not last night what philadelphia's defense looks like against some of these potential teams like seems like everything is against the nets like that they are the prism for a lot of these intriguing defenses but i want to see you know what can joel and b do what their other personnel remember they they reduce their defensive ceiling to add some capable offensive players which is really produce some dividends for them during the season but I'm, i'm interested to see how it works in the playoffs yeah, a couple other ones that come to mind for me, Utah going against switching defenses, I think uh, will yes. be fascinating. And this is of less import now with the Jamal Murray injury, but Denver, they really struggled in that Jazz series to find a, a way to guard Utah's pick and rolls. First, it was the drop coverage. They got savaged there. They tried putting two on the ball. 
with Jokic. That didn't really work very well either. Uh, maybe they'll try hiding Jokic, say, on like someone like Royce O'Neal or equivalent uh, on the team that they're playing against. Uh, or maybe they'll try to just bring a ton of help in from the wings and just force teams to beat them over the top with the three-pointer on the those above-the-break threes. So you can't even get all the way to the rim and involve Jokic at all. So that that's something that could be really interesting. And I think that's, uh, yeah, Clippers is obviously a, a fascinating one as well um yeah let's uh let's move on here josh you are on the air we cannot hear you yet josh if you're speaking uh, hopefully you can can get it sorted out um and I, w- I will put you back up at kind of the top of the queue if i see you in there so um well, we will i will move on though to russ russ you are on the air on the Hey guys, just wanted to know with LaMelo returning next week, A, do you think that makes him the front runner again to win rookie of the year as he'll be able to get a decent amount of games and you think if he plays in the majority of them doesn't knock on wood get injured again. And then with Hayward hopefully coming back for maybe four to five games potentially at the end of the year, is this is this is this Hornets team you think have a decent pretty solid chance to get out of the play-in and into one of those seven, eight seats. Let's start with, with uh, LaMelo. For me, at least uh, as far as who I would pick for Rookie of the Year, he if he had never played another game, he would have uh, won it easily. I mean, if you look at any value stat, he is well above. I mean, Anthony Edwards in some of these is like just barely creeping into positive for the year, and I would say I don't necessarily even agree with those stats, whereas LaMelo is like you know four wins above replacement, I think, in, in KP's stat something like that so and then I also use a tiebreaker of who I think the best long-term prospect is for rookie of the year like I was very much on board with Joel Embiid in 16 17 over Brogdon for example so Lamel is clearly the the best long-term prospect he would have been my pick uh do you feel similarly Danny I do um I mean he never lost it so I I I hope that if Lamelo plays and I you know looks like he's gonna come back next week that it will fortify it with people that are not us because, you know, as much as I value our stuff, you know, what's in the record books is, is fundamentally different, but also just to me, there hasn't been anybody that has taken the mantle. So I think that's there. And in terms of Charlotte making it out of the play in, I think that things are looking better for a couple of different reasons. One of them is their position getting stronger. I mean, I think that at certain moments it's been lost a little in the shuffle, how big an advantage these seven and eight seeds have in terms of getting in. Remember they, they each are in with one win and only out with two losses. So that means being there is significantly important. And so, so that LaMelo being back, Hayward potentially coming back increases the chances, the chances that they're the seven or the eight, but also think about the weakening that has happened below them. So not only is that the Raptors sitting a bunch of their guys, the Bulls having Levine in the health and safety protocols, but also the Indiana Pacers are continuing to be ravaged by injuries. Miles Turner's missing, going to miss a while. Sabonis missed their last game. So I think that it is it is simultaneously the, the Hornets being better makes it more likely that they're seven or eight, and the other teams being worse makes it more likely that they're seven or eight. So I, I would say preliminarily that things are looking pretty good for them. Yeah, and the Knicks also have, I think, the hardest remaining schedule uh, as well, though they are up. Uh, the Hornets have a bunch more games to play still the, than the Knicks, but uh, the Hornets are only a game behind the Knicks in the loss column. Although uh, that doesn't matter. The loss column, the win column are of kind of equal importance when you're talking about these teams that are around 500. Um, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll see. The Hornets have had their uh, their luck in close games. As well, but they've been able to stay afloat better than was hoped with Hayward and Ball and then even some of the other entries that they have had as well. Yeah, and, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if it's just the one game between the 7 and 8 in the first half of the play and then whoever, even if the Hornets were the 8 and they won that game, they're the automatic 7, right? They become the 7 seed? Right, yeah. So the the game, so the first, the first kind of section is 7 versus 8, winner gets the 7 seed. Mm-hmm. Then the loser of that game plays the winner of the 9-10 game and the winner of that one gets the 8. So that's why they would have to lose, whether the, whether they come into the play in 7 or 8, have to win once to get in or lose twice to get out. Gotcha. So I think an interesting way to think about the play in is not necessarily where it is for each individual team uh, getting into the playoffs, but just what the chances are that one of seven and eight could be out or that one of nine or 10 could be in. I think you have, it, yes, each individual team, you know, I think KP went through and did the math just to, based on a, a relatively tame home court and assuming all the teams were equal and he's, you know, 10 or 15% chance for uh, the nine and the 10. 
to get in, uh, you know, it might have even been higher than that collectively. I can't remember precisely. But, you know, there is going to be a winner-take-all game between one of seven and eight and one of nine and ten. And seven, seven, eight will have home court and they presumably will be the better team. But there's still probably, you know, you'd say about a 30, 35% chance of the lower seeded team winning that game. So there's probably, you know, a 35% chance that either nine or 10 could get in and that the result might change over what it would just normally be like. That's enough to keep it interesting. Me, oh, absolutely. I would, I, I would yeah. agree. Um, there was there was oh, a point in the comment from Justin. Uh, the Bucks are still paying John Gordon and Larry Sanders, so feel like stretching is never the answer. I will say it is very rarely the answer. Uh, th- there are certain circumstances when you have kind of a bird in the hand that is so good in that circumstance that you can make it work. But generally speaking, I, I, this is what I talk about of like when it when a GM fires a coach, you should be th- every owner should be thinking about whether that GM should still have their job. It's basically the same thing when you're going to use the stretch provision. You have to think about so think about like a what move is are, is justifying this. And whether the person who like who kind of a signed that contract and is trying to do this is the right person to do it. Like, so that was I was critical of the Knicks for the Noah stretch for largely similar reasons. Yeah, well, I think when you know for absolute certain that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are coming the following summer, that is the time to to stretch. Absolutely. Sure. But but yeah, I mean, for a team like New Orleans, where okay, let's what are they what are they going to do with that extra ten million dollars next year? That's going to like put them over the top. It, it doesn't seem like it's the the opportune time for it, and particularly because it's just a question of paying the luxury tax too it's not even a question of really being competitive or some kind of hard cap issues or something like it's just ownership's money which granted doesn't make sense to pay the tax for where they'll be next year either um okay what do we got next here Dan? let's go to cameron cameron you are on the air all right we can't hear you quite yet cameron all right we got you we just got you there actually cool hi uh, so I wanted to just like give you guys some numbers on this player and see if you knew who it was. So, and oh, I suck at these. This will be well. Fun. <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, th- these are really also like pretty weird numbers, so they're maybe a little bit uh, specific that you might understand. But this guy, is, oh, so gotcha. he's a, he's a wing. So among wings, seventy uh, third percentile in overall perimeter shooting. So that factors in uh, shot creation and shot making. Ninety second percentile in isolation impact for seventy five. So uh, what what is this? B ball index stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well okay. stuff, yeah. Uh, 85th percentile matchup difficulty. Uh, he's high in box creation, high in blocks for 75, and he's above average in defensive impact metrics, LeBron and Raptor. So um, you guys have a guess for that guy? He's a wing. Give, give me the uh, all, all these again. Sorry, I'm not as familiar with some, with some of their metrics, but I, I'll just I'll, give I'll just like, shot. yeah. He's so 73rd percentile in perimeter shooting, um, 92nd isolation impact. 85th percentile in matchup difficulty on defense. Um, so, so high. that means so that means the he's he's defending the other team's better players. Or yeah. Does that mean the other team's better players right. are defending him? Okay, he he's defending. defending. Right. Okay. Uh, high in box creation, high in blocks for 75, high in finishing talent. Um, so those are just all the kind of numbers. Whew. He's in the West. Okay, he's in the West, huh? A wing in the West. I assume this is a is this is a non all star. Otherwise, you that's yeah. that's why you're asking the question. Yeah, yeah. Non all star wing in the West who's good. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, <laughs> oh gosh. I think the um, way to just think about it is maybe he's not a guy that's known for being a, a a good shooter, and he's also gotten a lot of slack for his defense in the past. Yeah, I think the the key to this is probably the blocks. Um, Brandon Ingram? No. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been my favorite was, reaction we've ever that had. Was, that was like Alex Trebek disappointed dad level of, <laughs> of uh i well i i preface this by saying i suck at these so i you you should not be surprised that danny nah. you want to give it a go here while i try oh, and screw the, through the, the rosters the, and see the, if the, I can part, do better. the part that i'm trying to think about is the defensive the defensive matchup part so i'm oh, trying to think uh, about uh, uh kyle anderson uh no that's better yeah. that's closer though all right all right, all right. That's, that's, i'm trying, yeah, I'm trying that, to think about who guess. takes who takes on the toughest assignments consistently um he's a high finisher as well yeah that's oof. But high finishing can mean I, I get Andrew nothing. Wiggins. Yes, Andrew Wiggins, you got it. <laughs> and your and your your winnings are a thirty four million dollar contract for another few years. 
Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I just hope you guys could just discuss him, what you've seen from him. Wiggins is interesting. I mean, I've I've had trouble with this came up recently when Nate and I were doing um were doing the positional rankings and I've had I've had trouble with with how to reconcile Wiggins for a while now because He's, you know, as as Wiggins' role has become less kind of self-determined at moments in time, and he's, you know, be, become, you know, like he's been able to kind of play a little bit, let's call it, more within within himself. Uh, sometimes depends with the Warriors. I think some of that stuff has looked better. I think defensively he has taken real strides, but I still wonder where his place is on a on a really good team because he's maybe maybe you think that the shooting there I mean he's 39% this year 34% career maybe you think that's real enough that it's there but he to me is kind of in that hall of very good in the sense that he's good enough at some things that you want to have him in your rotation but I don't know that he's so good that you have to play him and I I also think that it's good to think about Wiggins independent of his contract because a lot of times Harrison Barnes I think another good example of this where a player is always thought of by how much money they make and all the other like stuff that's in their that's that's in their history and there is a good player in there i just don't know how valuable it is to good teams yeah, you know, I, I think he they're finding some better ways to use him. Uh, I still like his post-game probably best for him offensively. The fact that he's hitting more jump shots this year, that's one where I can't quite buy that yet, that he, he's hitting in the high 30s from three, but that would clearly be an important development for him. And he's been adequate as a defensive player. He doesn't have a target on his chest. If he's asked to defend the best guy on the other team, which is basically, as those stats show, kind of what he has to do on this Warriors team. And he plays a ton of minutes and he never gets hurt. So yeah, there's that sort of dependability that's kind of probably in today's market as a 15 to $20 million a year type of player. He's someone who has always looked better by the eye test than some of the advanced stats, which again, are not entirely kind to him. He's a neutral uh, defensive player in, I think, most of the on-off metrics this year. I haven't looked at all of them, but the Raptor, which I'm looking at right now, has them as that. Um, but I think that that has some value at that position. He's just a wing who is not going to kill you on either end is valuable. That's kind of what I think of him as at this point in time. Maybe he can give you a little scoring on the second year. One one little quirk before we, we leave the Wiggins train. I, ju- I just pulled up his synergy stuff just to take a quick look. Wiggins is currently 57th percentile in both catch and shoot and jump shots off the dribble, which of course does not mean they're the same because catch and shoots are more efficient. I just thought that was weird that he happens to be the same percentile in both. All right, good good one there, uh, Cameron. Thank you for embarrassing me, and let's uh, let's move on here. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will go to AG. AG, you are on the air. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to talk about the most improved player race, and I think a guy who's getting overlooked is surprisingly Joel Embiid. Like, if you're just going year to year, last year I think Embiid had a down year. He didn't make an all-NBA team, and this year he's he's my permanent MVP. His shooting jump has been quite crazy. He's gone to even another tier in foul drawing, and I would think that I think that he's probably had the most valuable jump from a player. He's gone from like a top 12, top 13 guy to potentially a top 5 player this year. I just want to know your guys thoughts on that i like that a lot i i think yep, that it is it is an important jump i think that the the analog to what i like the argument i made for luca last year and that it is you know maybe maybe it is maybe it is not the largest like kind of per minute impact leap of anybody else as you brought up but it is the most important of those because becoming potentially the best player in a championship team becoming an, a legit mvp candidate is an incredibly important one so yeah i mean that is I th- I think Embiid now that because in some ways Embiid the argument for him it's it's a little bit different than Julius Randle because like the the role shift for Randle is a little bit more stark but the way Embiid is doing it is more in line with what you and I value so I mean not not to discount what Julius Randle is doing of course so yeah that that makes a lot of sense to me yeah and I can throw in by the the uh, criteria I was talking about earlier. He's just gotten way better at the post-ups. Uh, AG referenced his mid-range shooting. His three-point shooting is better, too. His off-the-dribble game is better. The turnovers aren't as bad as well. And, yeah, but he's just gotten to the point where the foul drawing is ridiculous. I mean, he's he's just going to put a one-on-one defender in the goal, just basically anyone. That was kind of put into stark relief for me again last night when he really just did whatever he wanted to Draymond Green, which is the first time I've basically ever seen anybody do that to Draymond Green 
in the post. So yeah, that's definitely a good, I mean, even Nikola Jokic would probably have to be in that discussion to some degree as well. Uh, although for him, I think it's a, a getting thinner, quicker first step, better shooting from the outside are, are the things that show up. Well, and with Jokic, there. and with Jokic, what's interesting is he he actually has a large, uh, considering how large his role was within the offense before, he actually has a larger role within the offense this year too, and has become more efficient as an individual scorer. So yeah, I, it it could be. I mean, I like the idea of stars being being in the mix, and especially as you and I talked about this being a weaker class. I think that that is a it is a very good a very good point, and something that that I think Nate and I will seriously consider when we go through it. And I'm a little bit frustrated with myself that I hadn't brought it to thought of him before. It was about a year ago now that there was that massive shortage of toilet paper. Remember that? Even still, it, it seems like you can't get as much as you might want to at the store. And that shed some light for me on the idea that toilet paper is not very environmentally friendly either. Over 27,000 trees are cut down each day to make toilet paper. And that's why now I use Real. It's 100% bamboo toilet paper. Bamboo grows faster than trees. It doesn't need to be replanted. And it's just a more sustainable material uh, overall. It's three-ply, making it both soft and strong. Even the tape is plastic-free, as, of course, is the rest of their packaging. And every real purchase helps fund access to clean toilets for the 2.4 billion people who currently have to defecate outside. So it's good for you. It's good for the environment. It gets sent right to your house, which is awesome with free shipping. So you don't have to take up 95% of the room in your shopping cart just with toilet paper. No reason not to give it a try. Listeners of Dunked On get 10% off their first order with the promo code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember that because we talk about it all the time around the program. Visit realpaper.com, R-E-E-L, realpaper.com, and use that CAPSPACE code to get 10% off. Don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. But we will go to uh, Ben. You're on the air. Hi, guys. I hate to uh, kind of ask the random what would it take to get this player uh, question, but um, in terms of uh, filling the Raptors' need at center for next year, and this player has obviously been eminently available in a lot of trade talks, uh, we have cap space to absorb the contract should it, uh, so there wouldn't be required matching salaries. Wondering what a framework bringing Miles Turner to the Raptors uh, this offseason might look like. I think it might have just gotten easier with this injury, which reading the tea leaves... And the way people are talking about it, it seems like he's going to be out for the year. That hasn't been announced yet, and I hope I'm wrong. But that just kind of seemed like that's the the way everyone is going uh, with this. And so if that's kind of uh, just generally when there's more of a feeling of failure in an organization and if the Pacers just lose in the initial play-in game, don't make the playoffs. Uh, and if they do make the playoffs, they'll be summarily dismissed, no doubt. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know... That's a tough call. What does he have? Two years left uh, on his contract here at, at around twenty million. Uh, two, two years at eighteen. And one yeah. challenge of the theoretical taking him into into space idea is that the value added for the Pacers is a lot lower there. Yes, they would create a trade exception, uh, something that they were in, so you could argue involved in with the weird stuff with Gordon Hayward last year, um, but. The Pacers would maybe clear a teeny bit of cap space, but like they wouldn't get a ton ton of functional power. So I don't think that sales point would be huge for them. Also, the Pacers books are pretty clean for twenty two twenty three. In terms of and and again, well, well so so what about this, Danny? What about uh, Pascal Siakam for Miles Turner? Ooh, now we're now we're getting. I mean, so. Now the, I, the I don't. I don't think. To... I think that the, the the Raptors will be trying to get Miles Turner to pair him with Siakam because the idea of having some floor spacing and, and like you know build that defensive foundation. But yeah, or or uh, I mean, OG Ananobi for Miles Turner is this year's first round pick. Say it's like eleven too much for Miles Turner. What? Oh, just just that straight up to just uh, the initial conception you're talking about, just taking his contract into space. Yeah. Um, I I wouldn't think so. Um, it, it, in my opinion, but there's two components to that as well. There's what the Raptors think of him, and then there's kind of just his overall value around the league. And it seemed like Turner, although he has played better this year, was kind of eminently dumpable last summer. So maybe that would, in fact, be an overpay. Um, it, yeah, not sure. Uh, on that one uh that's where my head goes Nate because like obviously his value on this podcast and his value in the uh in the league tend to be 
like there's a huge discrepancy between the two and my mind immediately like i'm willing to you know dump the 10th or 11th pick or whatever it might be for miles turner but that might be conceived as an overpay for his like relative value to the rest of the league i guess in a weird way well and what'd be fascinating there from indiana's perspective is so theoretically they're creating simultaneously a trade exception and getting that pick Theoretically, if let's say the Pacers want to win sooner, they could convert those two things into a different player, whether that is through a three-team trade, and then they'd have a little bit more salary latitude, though then you might be pushing against the tax depending on where, depending on what that other player makes. But it is like, I think that there might be a little something there. And, and, and you're completely right that our valuation of Miles Turner is not the same as everybody else's. If if our valuation was the same, he would have been, he'd probably be a Pelican right now at a much heavier cost than another team probably offered for him at the time. But it is, um, I, I think that enterprising teams would be wise to make those calls right now. And and if if the valuation is lower and in, like in Indiana could maybe flip that into something that would help them sooner, because I think that's what Kevin Pritchard and ownership would want, maybe it's possible. I think I have too much time in my hands working from home, just sitting, trying to figure out who's going to fill the five next year. I've watched too much Aaron Baines. But uh, yeah, that's where my head went this morning. Yeah, it, no, it's, two- it's not insane at all. I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a pretty decent one. Uh, just uh, I'll ask you this, since, since you're a big Raptors fan, I, I've, uh put this out there before what would your feeling on a potential DeRozan return be um not great (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean yeah not great it's like a like a two-year deal at 25 million a year or something is it just you don't think you would help at all or you're just sick of seeing that I think if he had like never played for the Raptors like sure but it's just like (laughs) I, I I understand. Obviously, there's there's a fit there. They need creation. Um, they can hide him on defense. Like they they have the wing the wing support to kind of you know hide him, put him on like the worst player, etc. Like they like the ecosystem. Jamar in that ecosystem as currently constructed does make a ton of sense. I just think there's probably other ways I'd rather spend my cap space. Um, given all the the history and stuff there. Yeah, it's just it, the Raptors are just in a weird situation now. Are they do they totally tear down? They have a lot of good players. Are they cuz I mean they still basically I think no matter what they do with this group, they're kind of topping out as maybe a feisty second round playoff team. So does that have value when you've already run, won a championship? Do you try to get back to that championship level and you know what is Masai not being under contract for next year? What does that change? It's uh they're one of the most fascinating teams this offseason, to be sure. As a follow-up, what are the fucking odds the Raptors would rest players if they fell backwards in the 9-10 playoff game for uh, for uh, lottery odds? Oh, in, in, in the, the, oh, yeah. in the playoff? The <laughs> well, so the funniest thing would be if they didn't do it in the first one, but did it in the second one. So it's like, okay, now we, we proved that we're good enough. Oh, that would be, that would be incredible. But I think... Because, I mean, so the I'm trying to this is something I've been trying to wrap my brain around for a few days now. I'm trying to think of what the difference in draft pick would be. So let's say theoretically the team that gets the eighth spot in the East is is probably going to have the worst record of any team in the playoffs. Because my understanding is that if you don't make the play in, then he basically just goes in record order, kind of like with the freeze a little bit that happened last year. So if that's the case then the difference in draft pick would be roughly, I think roughly like five, four or five spots. Like that's pretty significant. And there are lottery odd shifts and everything else. So, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah, and you get you get to go home instead of having to stay in Tampa for another two weeks. Uh, it's highly <laughs> enticing. I mean, not that I mind Tampa, but I think I, I, I think, that, I think that the odds are actually exceedingly low just because the firestorm that would come from the league office were a team to deliberately sit healthy players in a playing game when the league, you know, was making such a big deal and television partners and everything that's going on this league year. It would I Maybe it would be a circumstance where like a couple of the guys played, but they played five minutes or they played 10 minutes, you know, like something enough to enough to not ignite the firestorm, but enough to make the point. Maybe that would be what would happen. As a thought experiment, it's both simultaneously hilarious and very interesting to think about. Absolutely. <laughs> very, very much so. Uh, th- <laughs> thanks. Th- Thanks, Thanks, Ben. Yeah, thank you. Um, we can go to Xavier, but we'll start to move quickly. We actually have, I think, seven people in the queue. So we'll try to make this more of a lightning round. So if you can pop in, pop out. But if it's something we want to explore, we can explore it a little further. Xavier, you're on the air. I had a real quick question. Um, with the Mavs functional cast space, is there a player or a combination of players that you would look to target that you think could realistically 
vault them into possibly a contender status? Yeah, so they, they've got about $35.5 million, uh, or so to work with, or sorry, $34.5 million or so to work with. So in theory, they could probably go and grab anyone that they that they wanted to. I mean, what do you guys see uh, as them as them needing the most? Uh, obviously, this free agent market is limited, but uh, is it another creator? Is it more defense? It's uh, it's one of those two things, right? He's uh, gone. Danny, he's so. gone. Uh, so I, 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 the first two guys I thought of are not players that I think have been bandied about too much there, and that's Spencer Dinwiddie and Mike Conley. Like Conley can play with another ball with another ball hand, or they don't. You know, you could argue that both are duplicative of Jalen Brunson, but the idea of basically you know having two potential ball handlers on the floor, Dinwiddie is is really interesting to me for them because he can play off ball, uh, and he has more positional size. Yeah. So that could be he might come cheap too. Yeah, he might. And and the opportunity to, to, to definitely start there and be on a be on a viable team. I mean, I don't know what the market is going to be for Dinwiddie, but he was the first the first real guy that I thought of there. Especially like it, theoretically, what you know, best case scenario, Victor Oladipo, but we're not going to see that guy. I mean, I think we're both pretty sure about that. Yeah, and I guess the the problem is for them getting better defensively, and they kind of have as good a guys as they're going to get defensively on the wing under contract. Uh, I mean, I guess Josh Richardson is a free agent, so bringing him back what, could what potentially be. What do you think space. about Gary Trent there? Yeah, I could kind of be like a little bit better at Tim Hardaway. Um, but yeah, restricted free agency, I, I don't think that they're going to do that because the, you run into the problem where if you don't get them, then you've got nothing. Yeah. So I think that I think for a team that's trying to be good next year, uh, there's always Derek Jones Jr. They could try him again. But it's hard too with Porzingis because, okay, if you can't, you're not really going to upgrade at center. That's one of the ways you're usually going to get better defensively. Well, he's already there. And Kyle Lowry would obviously be a very sexy sure. pickup for them uh, as well, potentially. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Lowry is a better fit than any of the players that, that we've been talking about. Uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to sadly cross Drew Holiday off of my free agent list. By the way, uh, Ryan, you are on the air. Ryan, you there? Okay, All right, try and get back in if you if you can, Ryan. And we'll go to Justin. You're on. Uh, hey guys, I'm I'm calling in as a Bucks fan, a little bit stressed out from the loss yesterday. Um, but like a lot of Bucks fans, I think I'm pretty annoyed by Bud as a head coach. But then I was thinking about it. If you think of the other top four teams in the East, is he actually at the bottom, at the top? I, I don't actually see, because our last two losses to Nurse and Spolstra kind of felt like we got very outcoached. But I don't see the Bucks actually getting massively outcoached in the playoffs this year. But curious what you guys think. Yeah, I mean, I would have to say that Bud as a playoff coach is, I would probably put him as below average. Uh, there have just been a lot of things that they, it just seems all kind of random and not that process oriented and a little set in their ways uh, as well. And then when they do change up, there doesn't seem to be as much rhyme or reason to it. So uh, I, I think as a playoff coach, I would probably like the Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni combo in Brooklyn a little bit better. And you know, Doc Rivers has had his own foibles in the playoffs uh, as well, and we'll see what those end up being with Philly. But he also, uh, I think, I still would probably have to put him above Bud as a playoff coach. But that's one where I think it, it could go either way. Uh, although I think if Milwaukee ends up playing Philly, if Philly gets the number one seed, then that means that they already beat Brooklyn. So you probably have to feel pretty good about uh, Bud at that point. And then four, I guess we're going to say, is going to it's going to be uh, probably Boston. So yeah, I think uh, again. Against Brad Stevens, where they, who they've lost to and beaten, um, but I think Stevens has done a better job uh, than Bud uh, in those matchups. Well, so I, I still would have him kind of towards the bottom, I'd say. Something else I'd add is you and I are both big proponents of the regular season as a laboratory. And one of the challenges for the Bucks is that they don't, they've experimented more this year to Bud's credit than they have before, but it's that they don't have a ton of experience doing some of these different things. Like they went very briefly to the PJ Tucker at center and, and going to, you know, some, some, some switching stuff. And I thought it actually worked pretty well, but I'm much more supportive of like what Nick Nurse and what Spo have done in terms of giving guys enough reps in those capacities to be able to go to it in the playoffs. And of course, the coaches that are more willing to do that in the regular season are more willing to reevaluate based on what is going on. And so, yeah, I'm, I I think Budenholzer in certain ways, his regular season success is underappreciated due to the playoff 
foibles, but it is it is a very real concern. Um, well, I guess the the other thing about Bud that I'll say too is he's so good in the regular season. Their system has been so good that he can just kind of throw shit at the wall in terms of lineups and just have it work. And I think that's almost bad in the playoffs because he just kind of expects things to work it again because it worked in the regular season and so he doesn't necessarily have the experience of being like okay we're using the regular season to really know this is what works and this is what doesn't um but yeah good question there who's next uh let's go to snort me gently you're on hey can you guys hear me yes uh, okay, so my question is, uh, if a team of the uh, tallest, the 15 tallest NBA players were assembled this year, how far do you guys think they could get in the playoffs? The 15 tallest NBA players? You, you don't happen to have a list of, of who that would be, I, I guess. I do. It's, it's on my notes app. That's the thing. I was hoping I could talk well in notes app. Um, okay. But I, I, I assembled a starting five, which was... Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's let's hear the starting five. Yeah, it starts to fall off really hard after the starting five. But it's uh, <laughs> Joel Embiid, Brooke Lopez, Rudy Gobert, uh, I think I threw Bull Bull in there, and then Kristaps uh, Porzingis. Um, after that, you start to get real thin. It's like it's like Wiseman, Luke Cornett, uh, Taco Fall. Uh, it's it's not great after that. Yeah, uh, Bull Bull at point guard. I, I think ultimately you, you just would run out of spacing it and ball handling, especially against a normal team. If it were those guys against like the five shortest guys, that would be fascinating too. I, I thought that's where <laughs> you're going with that. But but if you're just talking about like how they would do in a normal NBA season, well, also the, I'm the sure perimeter like, defense the, is the first thing I thought of. Like, would they well, be like who's chasing guys around screens? Yeah, and just just I mean they would play zone for sure. Yeah, I but, guess they would. Uh, uh, but even just like bringing the ball up, like guys would probably get injured because they just w- were not used to that sort of a workload. If teams would press them and stuff too, I mean, it would be fascinating to see. Obviously, now, I mean, that's, yeah. To combine two things from this from this locker room at the same time, could we have a team of the fifteen tallest players that are not that are not in the playoffs or the play in compete instead of the Raptors if they get the ten seed? I would support that. <laughs> I'm on board. Well, thanks. That was that, that was a lot of fun. Um, we we have a couple left, so we'll try to go through them quickly. Joshua, you are on the air. Hello. Hey. Hey, I'm big fans of y'all. Um, I had a question about the MVP race. Um, I, I'm not a proponent of awarding people who who are not who might not even make the playoffs. So um, I was saying, do you think Curry has a chance to win the MVP? Because uh, I personally, you know, I think he's you know one of the top players, obviously. And the injuries have kind of derailed the season for most of the stars. But um, do you think he has a chance? Because I actually starting to think that he might have a chance. I guess it, it all depends what happens uh, from here. I would say the odds are pretty low. He's not going to keep playing this well. Like that would be nearly impossible. But if the, I mean, I think the Warriors are going to keep playing better with James Wiseman out. If you look at the numbers when Wiseman plays and when he doesn't, they're a totally different team without him. Uh, and so, you know, I expect them to play reasonably well. Does that get them into contention for the sixth seed? Maybe if they get into the sixth seed and they avoid the play in, maybe psychologically that will mean something. Thing. Uh, and I think the Nuggets would have to falter some as well. It looks like that's not going to happen either. Uh, you know, I mean, the Nuggets are 37 and 20 now, and the Warriors are basically nine games behind them. So I think that's that's going to be tough, I, I think. And, you know, Embiid would probably have to get hurt again as well. I could see him finishing third in the end, though. Yeah, I, I think that it's he will, he will, looks like as of right now, we haven't done MVP in a while. It looks like he'll be in the mix for me preliminarily before I've done the digging. Um, but I think that I am more open conceptually. This, this came in baseball years ago to an MVP on a weaker team just but partially just due to the other contenders not being available because remember a value is partially being on the floor and so i think that hurts the arguments for like let's say lebron and Embiid. i mean curry has played i think like 450 more minutes than Embiid so far so we'll have to see but i i love you know unconventional arguments and i think that there is one for curry even if i'm not sure i believe it to be number one quite yet yeah, yeah, and also I, I think I, we, we will we will give it more credence than our peers would. It's always tough to say, oh, what are his MVP chances? Because you're trying to guess what people who may not have uh, the same sort of rigor that we do are gonna are gonna say. Um, so, so that makes it hard too. Sorry, I, I interrupted you, Joshua. What were you gonna say? Oh yeah, um, I agree. I I think this year is kind of just so weird because it seems like every star has kind of like missed some time this year, and so like I I don't I don't agree with awarding him the MVP if. He can't make the playoffs, but um, 
he has a very good argument because this this kind of group is kind of weak, you know, right now for like MVP. So you know that's what I was kind of just thinking of these last couple of days since he's been going on the tear. Yeah, well, Jokic has played every game, so that's that's probably the one the one fly in the ointment there. But you know, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. We still got about a month left here, so if he keeps if he plays like this the rest of the, for another month, then uh, that could maybe change some people's minds. Um, okay, do we have one more here, Danny? Is that what it is? Uh, we have two. We'll see if we can do them quickly. Uh, Tim, you are on the air now. Ah, and- okay, sorry, just in the middle of a bite there. So, um, best chance for an upset. In the first round, that's not kind of obvious. Like, uh, so not a four or five, not four or five, and, and not, not the like, Lakers, and not like Heat Bucks, which we just saw, and then not like Steph against drop coverage. Um, well, I think, uh, you know, the Suns Mavs, yeah, that was my first thought. Um, you know, I think, uh, if the Nuggets get into the three seed, whoever they play might have a pretty decent chance uh, of beating them. Those are the two I don't see any real chance of, other than maybe Heat Bucks just because of the matchup. But, but again, this Heat team seems like they're not the same. Um, but I don't, those top three in the East seem pretty bulletproof to me. What do you just quick, what do you make of a fully healthy Hawk team? We haven't really seen it, I guess, so it's hard. Um, I think that Trey Young is not going to do that well in his first playoffs and that a team with good defensive versatility can cause some problems for him i mean i could see maybe if it's hawks nets but i don't see the hawks falling that low um you know maybe the hawks the nets will just not stop them and maybe harden won't be around now that's another thing that this news just came out um so if they if they don't have harden that could change so maybe the hawks could just you know take it to seven because they have a pretty explosive offense too and they hit some threes and the nets don't that that's a possibility right got it thank you thanks tim uh last question ethan ethan you're on the air hey what do you do can you guys hear me we can oh okay so my my first question is a zion question uh and i'm gonna ask it really quickly so against top 10 defenses this year zion's averaging like 30 points per 36 on 70.4 true shooting percentage and also like he doesn't have a scoring attempt turnovers very often which is something i think people ignore when they're talking about scoring a lot because like yeah. a turnover is an attempt to score so you should factor that in yes sure so like and i've been arguing even with you know curry going absolutely fucking ballistic like the scion's the best scoring league and i think that holds how much validity does that hold and the second question is why aren't people talking about the fact that the clippers are like 16 and 5 since the all-star break and they're shooting like 40 42 percent on 35 attempts from three the last you know the last 21 games since all-star break like they're they've been ridiculous and i think it's been it has been getting ignored and when you think that they haven't been healthy for a lot of that stretch i think that it's even it's even more impressive given that context they you know not every game has been against world beaters they've faced some injured teams they've faced everything else but you also have to beat the teams in front of you and i think that the clippers have been looking good and it'll be it'll be fascinating to see kind of where things go for them and also the the big ripple effects of what's going on in in denver so like you know like where where do they wait the seating and everything else that's there um and i'll let nate answer the zion part of it um because i want to be nice to him (laughs) well i i think as one of the best scorers i still think that you're he's a relative one trick pony still and this has been a weird season we haven't seen teams really try to lock in and stop him in a playoff setting like that's the real stress test of like when they're really locked in on you what can you do i mean it's been incredibly impressive i've been driving the zion train as much as possible this year but he just hasn't done it for long enough and i do think what he's doing is relatively sustainable but when you haven't seen it in a playoff setting yet it's hard to talk about a guy as one of the best scorers because that's where you're really you're solving defenses you're you've got counters and then you've got counters to their counters he hasn't had to go through that yet so it's it's a little early on that for me and then just subjectively watching his game when it's basically all around the rim you there's you can barricade the rim and force him to beat you from the outside or force him to pass out and, and beat you from the outside. And we'll see whether uh, he can do that. But certainly the the way that he scored and the way that they as a team have scored since he 
got the ball in his hands has been extremely impressive. My only pushback against that is that I use the 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 strong defense filter basically to showcase that I think Zion's gonna have pretty good resiliency. Like I don't know every and, and you could say oh they're not scheming for him in a playoff setting and 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 that's a yeah. fair <laughs> argument. The only thing against that is what the hell are you gonna do? Like what's what's the what's the what's the uh, what's the counter for Zion and pick and roll? Is it going under? Because against I, under, I, I mean I, like I think seventy five percent. I think it's, it's forming a yeah. fucking wall, as a certain person would say. If it's <laughs> well, but if but stands his coach. Nobody else can is, do that. The thing is, though, his handle is a lot tighter than his handle is a lot tighter than Giannis's, and even though he's True. not necessarily yeah. he's not necessarily a better playmaker than Giannis, as in like pure shot creation, he has better passing chops. Like the ball comes out of his hands better, in my opinion, just like from what I've seen. He's also better off ball than than Giannis is. So. I I I I get understand the pushback, but it's like the fact that he has the worst spacing in the league and has the highest score val in the league is fucking ridiculous to me, and I think I think it's unfair to ignore that. I know you. I'm not saying yeah. you are. I'm just saying the rest of the league is like some people yeah. call him a bust. No, that that was obviously that that was pretty crazy, and I think like the fact that he stayed healthy this year is probably the most encouraging thing of anything for him. And I think you're right. You know, there's not a great solution to what he's doing. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, the top 10 defenses is uh, like, I, I think that's a, the way you framed it is a, as good as we can do right now, but this is still kind of a bullshit regular season. And the, I'm, I'd be interested to know how many of those teams really had all their guys together and, and were they on back to backs and the Pels aren't, you know, a, a team that everyone is like getting up to play or anything. And so I, I agree with you. Like we, it is very possible we talked about this on top 10 players that he could rock it well into the top 10 next year for sure. Uh, but yeah, and I agree also that the cast around him is pretty ill-fitting for what he wants to do offensively at, at this point in time. So, all right, thanks, thanks for that. That was a good talk and a good talk from everyone as well. Thanks so much uh, for joining us here. And uh, we'll talk to you all at the same time next week. Hollinger and I are going to be on a special time, 1230 Eastern and 930 Pacific. For those who haven't listened to that yet, we actually just do our full pod first, but then we take questions for about 20 or 30 minutes afterwards. So uh, we'll talk to you all then. You all have heard me talk many times about my wife here on the show. You might recall that she's a yoga teacher, and I wanted to let you know that she is starting her own streaming service called Yoga with Ashlyn, A-I-S-L-I-N-N. That's how you spell it. And if you enjoy our meticulous, data-oriented approach here on Dunked On, either you or a significant other will find this to be the best streaming service there is for yoga. Unlike apparently a lot of teachers, she spends about an hour planning the sequence for each class. Why is that important? Well, it helps you get the most out of every second that you're on the mat, whether it's one of her quick 10-minute refresh classes or one of her super hardcore inversion labs. This detailed sequencing makes all the difference, whether you're looking for injury prevention, getting into that really hard pose you haven't been able to master, or just getting your mind right at the end of a really hard day. She's got over 130 classes and that library is growing at one to two classes per week. She'll even take requests from members on new classes that they like. You can search by poses, by body part if you're feeling something is tight. She's really built an impressive platform. And whether you want to get into yoga more yourself or you know someone who is really into yoga and is looking for a way to get a lot better, check out Yoga with Ashlyn. There's a free seven-day trial. You can either go to yogawithashlyn.com or there's a link to her service in the description of this podcast. That's yogawithashlyn.com, A-I-S-L-I-N-N, or just click the link in the podcast description.